Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Hey, it's Friday somewhere. Did I blow out your ears? No, 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 I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's Friday somewhere. Um, it's going to be a short show tonight, and honestly, this probably is one of those weeks where it would have been better for us to either pre-record the show or like have decided to take some time off but you know we're gonna take our season break between seasons two and season three um probably around the end of september beginning of october i'm thinking okay that works for me yeah i hadn't discussed this with you yet brian but <laughs> that's what i was thinking. <laughs> i just work here <laughs> yeah <laughs> no you're part of the team you're that's right you make the show the show so anyway um Yep, we are here doing a show, and um, people like our show. I'm very, I'm constantly touched by the amount of emails we get, and the people who shop through our stuff.sexandsciencehour.com to be on our after show, and the people who tell us that they listen to our show every week. It's really cool. I don't want to get too sappy or mushy or anything, but I appreciate the listeners, and um, yeah, thanks for listening to us. Uh, we've had, we've been having a blast this season two and uh the good times are just going to continue and we're definitely going to keep on doing the show so anyway brian yes. um did you know that stripes make you look thin have you heard this before i i have heard this yeah i've heard it too yep. now what kind of stripes make you look thin is it vertical stripes like a like a jail suit with the stripes going up and down or is it horizontal stripes i was thinking a jail suit was horizontal but regardless mm-hmm. um no, no. Well, what I thought. Was oh, you that, thought a jail. Wait, you're right. A jail yeah, suit. Jail is, stripes are. I don't know. I'm. I'm confused. Well, now it's all orange suits anyway. And, and now it's, it's all, orange. It's all yeah, very that's right. Sad and all but I think I had this workout video, eight minute abs, and it was I like love those. Those, those <laughs> classic nineties <laughs> oh, workouts. Look them up on YouTube if you want to laugh. They're and and if you want a good workout because they're great workouts. No, they work. Eight minutes. They really work. It's just like where do you go from there? It's like well, shit. We did eight <laughs> minutes. All right. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it was one of the first like gimmicky workout videos that ever came out in the 1990s. I hope the guy made a shit ton of money from he it did. because it, I hope so because they were really good and he was coming up with something of value. I thought, but yeah. Anyway, the capitalist in me really wants him to be rewarded handsomely. Uh, but we need to do something about that. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> but in these videos, he's in the videos wearing this jail suit looking leotard thing. I, I don't know where it came from. I mean, it was definitely out of the 90s, but it, it, it's like vertical black and white stripes and it's skin tight and it's showing off. It's like a 
like a wrestling uniform. <laughs> I, I don't know where he got this thing, but I think it worked. Anytime I think of stripes, jail stripes, I think of that. <laughs> so yeah, well. I might be biased, but <laughs> so well. Anyway, so, I mean, so my... you've heard like pinstripes make you look thinner, right? Yeah, I've heard that vertical stripes mm-hmm. make you look thinner. Horizontal I, make you look fatter. That's what I, I have heard. heard the same thing, and I have also heard that pinstripes and carrying an umbrella is a psychological trick to make women think you have a big dick if you're a guy. What? <laughs> I don't know where I heard that. I or carry an true. umbrella all the time. That. Well, you don't need to. What are you doing? Well, I, hey, <laughs> I didn't say it. I'm just saying that. Like <laughs> that. I've never heard that. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it might be bullshit. It sounds like a Freudian kind of psychoanalysis thing that may or may not be true. But anyway, our opener this week is um, stripes make you look thin, but maybe not the stripes you think. So we both said that vertical stripes make you look thinner. That's what we've heard. Well, it's actually the opposite of that. It's actually horizontal stripes that make you look thinner. So let me read you this article. It's from Psychology Today here by uh, Barrett Brogard, DM Psy PhD. So he's got some degrees. He's from the superhuman mind. Um, oh, with all those degrees. Jeez. <laughs> he must be right. It's a common belief, he says, that if you want to appear slimmer than you actually are, you should wear clothes with vertical stripes. The classic pinstriped business suit would be an example of this sort of clothing masquerading a few extra pounds. It turns out that this folk belief is fundamentally wrong. A square composed of horizontal lines appears taller and narrower than an identical square made up of vertical oh, lines. Oh, you know what? I can see it now. Yeah. And yep. they, well, you can see it because there's actually a picture in yeah, the article. But like picturing it, like I can I can imagine that. Yes, they do actually have a picture. Because it looks like a ladder. It does. It looks like a yeah, ladder. So it looks like a like trim. a slinky that's like stacked on yeah, top of each other, yeah. taller and, and thinner, whereas pinstripes make it look wider because they're kind of going out to the sides it's a little hard to describe this on the radio so you know if you want to see the picture feel free to click the link in our show notes you can go to sexandsciencehour.com all the articles we discuss on the show are always linked to on our in our show notes there on each episode but yeah basically um this illusion was discovered in 1925 so it's been known for a while it's it's got a name it's named after the person who discovered it um herman von helmholtz so it's called the helmholtz illusion helmholtz it sounds like a shield technology but anyway go ahead yeah uh or or something i don't know why it's not called the von helmholtz illusion because right isn't von like part of his name it's like yeah you know there's always that some name gets left out like the like the idea of a wormhole now it's just called the einstein podolsky bridge it used to be called the einstein rosenthal podolsky bridge but Mm. they just took out a name Wow, poor, poor poor Rosenthal. He got always, he really got the short end of the stick there. I was going to say they're really screwing there. the Jews, but I mean Einstein's there, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that theory falls <laughs> yeah. apart, doesn't it? It does. So, although Hemholtz mentioned the application to fashion, he didn't test whether his illusion would persist when actually applied to a human figure. But over the years, researchers, fashion designers, and many others have speculated whether the illusion was an artifact of the two-dimensional square representations that had been used in Hemholtz's original studies. So they basically, they were wondering, okay, well, it works for a square, but human beings are not squares. They have a shape. Right. So in 2009, British psychologists Peter Thompson and Kiriaki Mikeladu followed up with similar studies using three-dimensional female models, and lo and behold, the illusion persisted. When two people are the same size, a person wearing a horizontal striped dress appears to be the thinner of the two. 
In order for them to appear to be the same size, the person wearing the horizontal stripes would have to be 6% wider than the person dressed in vertically striped clothing. So basically, horizontal stripes make you look 6%, 6% skinnier. What's not to like about that? Well, I'm going to change my whole wardrobe now. now. I'll tell you something, just real <laughs> fast. Pinstripe suits, I don't think there's a classier look. You know, if you look like you're in the mafia, you know, like a 30s mafia, I think that's as classy as it gets. Add an umbrella to that and you'll look like you have a big dick, too. There you go. I still say go with the pinstripes. <laughs> this is Sex and Science Hour. There's more coming up in segment two. We've got an article about gluten intolerance. Oh, well, I kind of missed that transition. Maybe we'll fix it in post. Maybe not. No. No, no, no we won't. It's already late enough. Like we said, this is going to be kind of a shorter show tonight, but we've got some entertaining stuff for you. We've got listener emails coming up, and right now it's our science segment. So we're going to do a follow-up on something that we talked about two years ago, probably almost to the day. Um, We had a show in season one where we talked about a study that had come out at the time in 2014 that actually became quite a big study that a lot of people knew about. And the study was about non-celiac gluten sensitivity or wheat sensitivity. And this is the idea that there are some people who have celiac disease, which is full-blown terrible reaction to gluten, which is the protein part of uh, wheat. And wheat, of course, is in nearly everything in the standard American diet. And it also, it follows that gluten is also in nearly everything. Now, people who have celiac disease cannot have any gluten. Their intestines literally get destroyed from the inside out, and they have all kinds of terrible health consequences from it. So they have to have a really strict gluten-free diet. However, they're a small percentage of the population. The thing that's come out in recent years is that now a lot more people are saying, well, I don't have celiac disease, but I'm sensitive to gluten. I eat a gluten-free diet, and it makes me feel better, even though I've never been diagnosed with celiac disease. I'm allergic to wheat, or I'm sensitive to wheat, and I avoid wheat in my diet because of that, and then I feel better. So the percentage of people who are saying this nowadays um, seems to be increasing. You could say perhaps that it's a trend or a fad. There's a lot more uh, gluten-free and wheat-free foods available in grocery stores nowadays. There's even a section, you know, in a lot of menus on restaurants where they have a little G next to the item for gluten-free or that like, it's almost like vegetarian food. Now it's like a, a popular enough thing that restaurants are starting to cater to their customers who don't want to eat wheat. But is this actually real? Is it in people's heads? Is it just a trend that they think that it's the power of suggestion? They've heard people say, oh, yeah, I'm allergic to wheat. And then everybody thinks they're allergic to wheat or they want to be a special little snowflake or something like that. Or is there really something to it? Well, in season one, we talked about a a study that became quite famous for, quote unquote, debunking. Uh, the notion of non-celiac gluten sensitivity. They actually, in that study, uh, if I recall correctly, I'm going off the top of my head, but in that study, they, they actually gave people like gluten, like pure gluten to like swallow. They gave them protein capsules uh, for, for a couple of weeks. And then they they switched proteins. Instead of giving them gluten, they gave them like uh, whey protein, which is, comes from milk. And then there was like kind of no different. Then they asked them to like record their bowel symptoms, like how bad does your stomach feel basically. Uh, And essentially what they found was that the people felt sick the whole time. There was no improvement 
um, when they switched away from gluten. So then they can concluded that, oh, this is all in their heads. They're, they feel mm-hmm. sick no matter what. These people are just belly aching and complainers, right? Well, <laughs> But then that was criticized. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. Well, yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, there's the back and forth always with, you know, should I eat eggs? Should I not eat eggs? Should I have coffee? Should I not drink coffee? Mm-hmm. And all this? I mean, this it can be hard to sort out fact from fiction when well, it comes to nutrition. After decades, I mean, you hear this all the time, uh, you know. But, like, for me, the thing with gluten was always... Okay, gluten like literally means glue. Like like that's you know, you are eating the glue that kind of holds the food together. Uh-huh. Now granted, I guess that doesn't mean that it's it's somehow inherently bad, but like even just that concept like just seems off when you think about it that way. Now gluten is is separate from wheat, right? Gluten is part of wheat. It's so part of wheat. so wheat is the whole plant basically. Uh it has a, a seed. And right. that's what people eat. It's because there's carbohydrates in that seed. And then there's um, a germ or bran that covers the, the outside of the seed, basically. Um, and gluten is a protein that's found in that coating of the seed. Right. So, but like you can, can you, you can eat something that is gluten-free but still contains wheat? Um, it's, I think it's impossible to separate. That so it's, it's that, it's totally impossible. Okay. Yeah. Just being clear on that. Now there are, there is a thing called gluten-free oatmeal. Mm-hmm. So so they have oats that somehow, like, I guess oats contain gluten or some strains of oat contain gluten, but maybe if they process it right, if they remove the bran, then it doesn't have any gluten in the oatmeal. Some people who are really strict gluten-free say don't even try, don't even mess with gluten-free oatmeal because right, it's not okay. really gluten-free. That's kind of what I was thinking about. It's okay. very confusing. You know, yeah. there's a lot of different information out there. So... um I think it's it's definitely to your point about the it's weird to be eating glue. I mean, even regardless of the name of gluten, I think you, you could definitely uh, nobody would disagree that Americans and people around the world eat a ton of wheat. It's a staple food. It's in everything. It's very hard to avoid unless you're trying to consciously. And did actually did humans evolve? you know, for most of their evolutionary history, eating that much wheat? No, absolutely not. Their diets were much more varied and they had different foods. And probably, you know, for most of our evolutionary history, we were not able to do agriculture and we were not able to grow crops like wheat. Mm -hmm. So we didn't eat that much wheat. So are our bodies used to it? Have our genetics had a chance to catch up to our modern diet yet? Pretty much everybody agrees the answer is no. Now, how big of a problem is wheat? you know, that's still the question that's kind of up for debate. Well, I, I remember the book Grain Brain. Mm-hmm. And that was all about, that wasn't even about like being allergic or anything. That was just like, look, this is not good for your mental processing. Like, the, like this just doesn't fly. And in fact, that might even be where I heard about the oat, that oatmeal that you mentioned yeah. too. There is uh, a thing too about gluten though, that it, it can actually, oh, actually it's not gluten. It's another protein in wheat called wheat germ agglutinin, uh, okay. which actually crawls up a nerve. It's very weird. It goes in the end of a nerve and it actually travels up the nerve and goes into your brain and can cause some kind of inflammatory reaction there. It's very weird. Wow, that sounds like the Wrath of Khan. Yeah, it's, it's, like... cre- it's very creepy. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of people allege gluten sensitivity is actually at the root of all kinds of mental stuff, like depression, autism, even. It's, some people do this autoimmune protocol where they get rid of gluten and all kinds of other food allergens, supposedly, to 
treat autism or to prevent it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly autoimmune diseases can be exacerbated by gluten. It's very popular for people who have thyroiditis, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, to avoid gluten. And some people see improvement in their symptoms. And of course, nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice. So don't take, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. We're just discussing it. Um, But there's, you know, there's enough there that it makes you wonder for sure. Uh, when you think about gluten sensitivity. Now, getting back to that old study from 2014 that became really popular where they concluded that these people were just complainers because they always felt sick no matter what they ate. Um, Some people really criticized that study because what they... um, the the non-gluten protein that they were given was whey protein. And many people who have gluten intolerance or, you know, who self-reported have gluten intolerance also have other food allergies. Mm. So they may be also allergic to milk, which is what whey protein comes from. Right. So that could have been a confounding a variable in the study. And that's why the people were sick the whole time, no matter what they ate. Uh, so the study can be debunked in that right. way. Sure. It, it wasn't that they were not allergic to gluten or wheat or not intolerant to wheat. It was that they were intolerant to wheat and milk, which was supposedly used as the control. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, we've got an article from Chris Cresser, which I think I really like his writing. He's sort of like a medical detective. He's um, kind of a contrarian, though. I think he, he likes to take a, which is okay. I think yeah. that that kind of voice is needed in any field, you know, medical or otherwise. It is. But, you know, he cites his sources really well. Yep. I like his stuff. He's sort of in along the paleo or um, ancestral health kind of uh, lines, but he's like a functional medicine doctor. Anyway, he says, still think gluten sensitivity isn't real? Catchy media headlines often poke fun at gluten sensitivity. A considerable percentage of the population, including many doctors, still do not believe that non-celiac gluten sensitivity is real. Yet many people without celiac disease feel better with a gluten-free diet. A recent study may have settled the debate once and for all. While the scientific community has widely accepted celiac disease as a condition caused by gluten and other related products, non-celiac gluten sensitivity has remained a topic of heated debate in the media and among the general public. In this article, I'll talk about the reasons I've acknowledged non-celiac wheat sensitivity as a real condition for many years, and I'll describe the results of a new research study performed at Columbia University that adds supportive evidence. Before we jump in, though, let's review the difference between celiac disease and non-celiac wheat or gluten sensitivity. And just jump in and stop me, Brian, if you want to, but we're going to take a trip down the wheat sensitivity road. (laughs) Celiac disease versus non-celiac wheat sensitivity. Celiac disease and non-celiac wheat sensitivity are two different conditions with a few major differences. Celiac disease is an autoimmune disease characterized by an inflammatory immune response to wheat gluten, rye, barley, and other related proteins. It results in marked disruption of normal gut tissue structure, including atrophy of epithelial cell projections called villi, and an enlargement of the intestinal crypts where new epithelial cells form stem cells. So basically, it messes up your intestine really bad. (laughs) Normally, your intestine has these little fingers, these like microscopic fingers that extend out into the lumen to absorb nutrients. But with celiac disease, those just get wiped out and it doesn't even look like a normal intestine on a uh, micrograph. Non-celiac, oh, sorry, celiac disease is strongly associated with a couple of genes. And uh, there's also antibodies that some people have against celiac, uh, against gluten in their blood. 
Non-celiac wheat sensitivity is a term applied to individuals who experience symptoms in response to wheat or gluten ingestion, but lack the characteristic markers of celiac disease. Symptoms can range from GI discomfort to fatigue and other neurological issues. These people tend to improve on a gluten-free diet. Unfortunately, many are mocked or ridiculed for avoiding wheat and told that their sensitivity is all in their head. Wheat sensitivity, is it all in your head? In response to continued suggestion by the media and some of the medical community that wheat sensitivity is merely psychological, I have written extensively on my blog in support of non-celiac wheat sensitivity as a real condition. For one thing, a variety of different proteins in wheat can elicit an immune response beyond just gluten. Non-celiac wheat sensitivity might even be more serious than celiac disease, as many people who test negative for celiac disease continue to eat wheat and put themselves at serious risk for developing autoimmunity. Now, that's a good point because, you know, I, I've really been thinking a lot about symptoms lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a, an eczema flare-up that's been lasting for months. I have like an itchy type of eczema on my hands. It's, you know, it's probably mostly stress-related with all the stuff that's been going on in my life lately. But I've really been thinking about instead of trying to fight with my body and saying like, oh, why, why is this happening to me? And, you know, kind of working against it. I want to try to listen to what my body is trying to tell me, you know, because symptoms are, symptoms are actually a gift because they tell you that your, your body's telling you something. It's communicating to you that something in your lifestyle or your environment is, is not, um, working (laughs) for your body, your body can't talk, your, your brain and your mind can talk and it can rationalize all kinds of things that maybe aren't good for your body, but your body communicates to you in other ways. And some of those are like symptoms, right? So if you're allergic to something and you get, let's say an itchy rash, then it's telling you to avoid that thing. If you have bags under your eyes, maybe your body's telling you, Hey, you need to get to sleep earlier. You need to get more sleep or whatever it is. So looking at those symptoms as as a gift because they're really like a check engine light in a car um, that tells you that there's a problem that needs attention. Right. And if you don't have, if you have a car and there's a problem in your car, but you don't have a working check engine light, you don't have anything to alert you that there's a problem and the problem is just going to get worse and worse without you knowing about it. So that's what he's saying about non-celiac wheat sensitivity. It might be even worse than full-blown celiac disease because the people don't know that they have to stop eating wheat because they get tests done and the tests say, oh yeah, you're fine, you can eat wheat, and they keep eating it and then they get autoimmune diseases or other damage down the line. Nah, okay, it builds up. It builds up, yeah, and it may not be warned about. So uh, gluten-free is not a fad, he says, and self-reported non-celiac wheat-sensitive people or non-celiac wheat sensitivity has been associated with a wide variety of disorders in epidemiological studies. Those who claim that the gluten sensitivity isn't real often cite this study, which is the one we talked about in 2014, attributing any negative reactions to gluten to FODMAPs. Now, FODMAPs are like sugars found in foods that give you the farts, basically. Right. (laughs) However, as I addressed in a previous article... Uh, FODMAPs are also associated with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. They're like, you know, basically sugars that are found in like onions and cauliflower that may give you gas and make you uncomfortable. Uh, That study said those are the real culprit. 
However, says Chris Kresser, as I addressed in a previous article, the researchers chose whey protein for their control group, a pretty poor choice considering that many of their subjects likely had inflamed guts and multiple food sensitivities. The evidence, both on paper and from my own clinical experience, clearly points to the existence of non-celiac wheat sensitivity. The latest research study... Still not convinced, he says. In a, recent, in a recent study, researchers at Columbia University Medical Center sought to obtain objective evidence to determine if non-celiac wheat sensitivity is real. They enrolled 80 individuals with self-reported non-celiac wheat sensitivity, 40 individuals with celiac disease, and 40 healthy subjects for the study. Non-celiac wheat sensitivity patients were excluded if they showed any of the characteristic diagnostic markers of celiac disease, so celiac-specific antibodies or celiac-like intestinal uh, appearance. The researchers took blood sample, so they basically very carefully screened out a group of people who didn't have celiac disease but self-reported that they were sensitive to wheat and Mm -hmm. couldn't eat it. The researchers took blood samples and intestinal biopsies, fun, from all 160 patients. The blood samples were used to look for particular signaling molecules and proteins in the blood, while the biopsies were used to look for histological analysis of the tissue microstructure, so they're seeing what their intestines look like in a microscope. In addition to comparing these measures between conditions, they also took a subset of 20 non-celiac wheat-sensitive patients who had adhered to a gluten-free diet for six months and compared their blood and biopsy samples before and after gluten avoidance. So what did they find? Non-celiac wheat-sensitive individuals have, drumroll please, leaky gut. Ah, leaky gut syndrome. Yes, that's when your intestinal barrier is kind of broken down and there's food particles that can get out and cause all these different allergies and all kinds of bad health problems. Non-celiac wheat-sensitive subjects showed increased intestinal permeability compared to healthy subjects. This is not all that surprising since we know that gliadin, a protein component of gluten, can affect the uh, intestinal tight junction proteins, which is like what makes your intestine all tight and not leaky. (laughs) In addition, subjects in the non-celiac wheat-sensitive group had systemic immune activation. Uh, Serum levels of all these proteins that basically say your immune system is activated, you're inflamed, were up compared with people who had celiac disease and healthy controls. These are uh, sensitive markers that bacteria were actually leaking out from their gut. So they have leaky gut. So based on the results of this study, um, he's saying, and the researchers concluded that this is, there's something there. It really does exist. How do you know if you have it? Well, he recommends to go gluten-free for 60 days. So that's two months. And then perform a gluten challenge where you eat some piece of bread or something that has lots of gluten in it (laughs) and see if you get sick. And he says, I still hold that this is the best way to determine your tolerance for gluten. Yeah. It it can be, you know, it can be tough when you're doing like relying on trying to self-diagnose. But at the end, I think that is what we all have to do. We have to try things and figure out what works for us. Yeah, try all different things for like a month, then mm-hmm. go back, try a month. I mean, I think it's fun to kind of self-experiment like this anyway. Absolutely. So why not? So do you think it's real, Brian? Do you think it's all in people's heads? No, I think it's I think it's real. I think there's something to yeah, it Yeah, I as think well. there's something to it. I eat gluten-free, by the way, so maybe I'm biased. <laughs> there's more coming up. This is Sex and Science Hour. 
Oh my goodness, we're in the third segment. Third segment already? Yeah, How this show is doing this for like a half hour. Well, <laughs> this show is flying by, but this this show is genuinely going to be one hour. It's going to be sex and science one hour. hour. Flat. Right. Now nobody complains when we do more than an hour, but you know tonight was one of those nights where. A short show is better than no show, so <laughs> we're going to run with Anything's that. Anything's better than a shit show. Uh, yes, that's <laughs> yeah. right. I hope this is not a shit show, Brian. I really no. do. No, no. I thought it was pretty interesting so far. Yeah. So anyway, we got some listener emails. We're going to make this segment all about listener emails. And have we got some interesting listener emails here? The first one is about telepathy. None other than telepathy. <laughs> it's from Curious. They say comment i'm cu- no they didn't say comment that was the the contact form on our website <laughs> oh my god that was you know live radio folks. it's late um anyway yeah if you want to contact us you can actually contact us anonymously through the contact form on our website which is sex and science if you have a listener question we talk about you know relationship questions or really anything that's on your mind. I love this question they sent in because it has to do with sci-fi and it's nerdy. But uh, you can ask us anything you want, and we might put it on the show. So, <laughs> uh, sexandsciencehour.com, or you can email us at show at sexandsciencehour.com as well. So, curious says, I'm curious what your thoughts are on telepathy. It's a common theme in science fiction. I've been watching a lot of Star Trek The Next Generation and reading a book series that deals with telepathic aliens. Oh, that sounds awesome. (laughs) I love Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, And telepathic aliens, I mean, come on, what's not to like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you think telepathy exists in any form, says Curious? Perhaps empaths like Deanna Troy. (laughs) If not, could it be possible in the future with brain implants? I was going to email this to Brian for a Sovereign Tech Patreon Q&A, but I wanted to hear Stephanie's opinion on it as well, since she's a doctor. (laughs) I love that line. Yeah, hey. (laughs) So do we think telepathy is real? Um, I don't think telepathy is real in the sense that um, you can literally, like, read, know someone's exact thoughts uh, like facts and things like that, um, maybe even from a distance where you're not even looking at them. However, empathy is probably like the closest thing to telepathy that I can think of. And we all have that, or pretty much all of us have that. I guess if you're like a sociopath or severe autism, you don't have much empathy. But um, most of us have our empathy ca- capabilities uh, fully functional. And when you feel empathy, like you really sort of feel exactly what another person is feeling. And how do you know what the other person is feeling? Well, it's communicated to you sometimes, a lot of times non-verbally by things like body language, tone, their facial expression. The expression on the face is is one of the biggest ways that we communicate our emotional state. Yeah, and lots other, of body language. Yeah, and, and other human beings can pick up on that and sometimes we can really feel very deeply what the other person is feeling based on what we see them uh, looking like. Or if we watch another person actually going through an experience, we can imagine how they feel and we feel the same way too. For example, if someone we care about, we watch them trip and fall and get hurt, then we're like, ooh, and we sort of wince in pain. We imagine the pain they're feeling. So, and, and you know, like, Okay, bear with me. I'm, I'm going to tie this all together eventually, <laughs> but I, I don't think the listener will mind if we digress a little bit. 
it, bring, it brings to mind uh, dolphins. Dolphins have this language where they communicate with each other through sonic clicks. They actually make little noises with their mouths. Yep. Um, but the sonic clicks, when the other dolphin hears it, I guess it's like it's called a sonopictorial language, meaning that the click or, or the pattern of clicks somehow conveys an image. It doesn't convey like a word like we would think of with language that we have. It conveys like a picture. It's almost like texting them a picture right. with sound um, over ham radio, well, That's how I their guess. brains <laughs> can receive what they're hearing, the clicks. Yeah, and, yeah that's it, how it, they communicate. Right. And, and even like, but you know, the other thing is dolphins have like names that they call themselves, apparently, according to scientists. I mm-hmm. mean, I don't know firsthand. I've never interacted with a dolphin, but... That's what they say. They say that dolphin have dolphins have names. So when they say their name, are they telegraphing a picture of their face or the other dolphin's face? I don't know. It's very interesting. But, um, you know, that that's kind of the way I think of telepathy. I know dolphins aren't communicating with each other telepathically, but they are sort of sending each other pictures. And I think with humans that you have an empathetic connection with, you can you almost have the same thing. And what I mean by that is there are parts of the brain that um, basically speak different languages. So we have like our neocortex, that's like the most, um, you know, human, like rational kind of part of the brain that's responsible for judgment and decision making and language uh, capacities and, and verbal stuff. Then there's like underneath that, there's a layer of the brain that's sort of like the limbic system that can, that that speaks the language of like smells and, and sounds and emotions and like uh, that kind of thing. And then deep below that, there's like the reptile brain that only has basically one setting and that's fight or flight. Is that on or off? So there's different systems within our brains that speak uh, different languages, basically, and some of those systems in our brain process some sometimes when you have a traumatic experience you can't just process it verbally by talking about it or by writing about it with language sometimes and this is why things like art therapy and yoga work sometimes you have to use those other language modalities to get the other parts of your brain to process the trauma so for example uh, with yoga, it's body movements and stretching certain muscles, which tells those muscles that it's okay to relax when maybe they were really tense during that traumatic situation, or your body's somehow afraid it's going to like betray you and it, tense, and it tenses up those muscles. Or for example, you know, drawing a picture like art therapy, drawing a picture of something that happened that was traumatic to you, or just a, mem- a memory, a moment in time, you couldn't describe it with words, but Drawing a picture helps you process those memories. So what I'm saying is I think there are different ways besides just words to that we can communicate and that we can understand ideas and concepts. And if telepathy exists, it's, it, it's probably like less verbal. You know, it's more like you experience a feeling and it's, it's a very similar feeling to what someone else is, is feeling or was feeling at one time in the past. And it's not like any kind of mystical thing. It's not like remote viewing. You don't. You wouldn't have that with someone that you didn't know and didn't care about. But with someone you're very close to, I think you can have such a connection that you almost feel like you have a telepathic link because it's very empathetic. Did that make any sense at all, or am no, I just like the, completely rambling here? I can no. I can never remember the 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 
what the what the word is, but in Japan, there's actually a term for this mm-hmm. uh, that means like it's the language being spoken without language, mm. you know, without without words. Yeah, that's right. So no, I don't think you're off at all. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, that doesn't mean that there haven't been like serious quote unquote serious scientific, in fact, military funded uh, studies into telepathy. Uh, clairvoyance, all these different kinds of things. Oh, the government wishes they could do that. Well, you know, they, they really they, did. They it was called Project Stargate in yeah. the 70s. Um, you know, I mean, that was, that was, that, that was there, in fact, there's a movie called Men Who Stare at Goats. Uh, that was. Um, I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, that was all about the whole so thing. So were there literally people staring at goats? Would What did that have to do with... Yeah. Oh, okay. The idea is that, <laughs> that you could like, mentally the like, kill them I or mean, something. shit, it's... if the government would pay me to stare at a goat, yeah, why not? I'll, I'll pretend yeah, right. to be telepathic. Well, the thing is, you had to be in the army to do it. But... Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> and, I, and I can tell you, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there are, you know, there already are studies. I think there's, I think there's uh, maybe it's University of Colorado or there's some others that are already looking at and they've already kind of done it where they have been able to kind of pull off what you're mentioning with the dolphins where it's sonic pictorial using the internet. So, uh, you know, like, like with certain helmet, you know, certain gear, they are able to transmit an image or a thought or an impression from one person to another, but it's connected through the internet. Personally, that's kind of a cheat, right? (laughs) Like, like I don't, I don't think that's telepathy when you're having to do it through the internet. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it sort of is like a crutch for telepathy, right? It's right. like an assisted form of telepathy. And maybe that's the best we can do with our current wetware that we have <laughs> in our that comes standard with the human body. Um, now, the emailer did ask, like, do you think this would be possible in the future with brain implants? And maybe like you just said, you wouldn't even need a brain implant. You could just wear a helmet or something that had a little antenna. And it was like, nee, 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 oh, I'm picking up a thought from this person. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I think it would be, you know, just like in Star Trek, when the Beta Zeds like talk about, you know, like Deanna Troy's character and her mother, who is like a full Beta Z. Deanna mm-hmm. Troy is half human and half Beta Z, so yeah. she has it toned down a little bit. Her empathetic abilities and telepathic abilities, but she can still like talk to her mother without talking. Like they just the, the words like appear in each other's minds. Um, with Vulcans in Star Trek, it's more like you know they transmit like memories and pictures over the course of a few seconds, so that someone can understand like a an experience of that may have gone on for years or li- a lifetime even mm-hmm. just within a few seconds when they mind meld with another Vulcan. So uh, there's different ways that telepathy is sort of uh, depicted, but one of the common themes that comes up anytime there's a telepathic character in Star Trek is overwhelm because like there's a, there's a, a few shows of the next generation where Deanna Troy's mother is, walking you know she's walking around the ship and she says she wishes she could turn it off because she hears all the men thinking these like perverted sexual thoughts about her (laughs) well and i think go ahead and and also like um you know when the vulcans do these mind melds they have to like rest and meditate afterwards because it's very overwhelming to like to sometimes it's hard enough to deal with and process your own thoughts and emotions um now, I could see if you really had like a telepathic link with somebody else, maybe they could provide support and help if they were willing uh, to do that. There was also the the episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where there was this, tel- this, this alien that like implanted these memories in 
Deanna Troy's mind without her consent. And it was kind of like a mental rape that she like, she even described it that way. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I could see it becoming a problem if you had those abilities, if you really could hear other people's thoughts or you could receive memories or if you were open to receiving signals from other people of like a telepathic sort of nature, it might get really overwhelming to the point where you would wish you could just turn it off sometimes, right? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there are, well, a couple points. One is, is that in the novelization for Star Trek The Motion Picture, which was ghost written, I mean, it was claimed to be written by Gene Roddenberry, but it wasn't. Um, in that, there is a point. There is a point where you find out Kirk has, like Captain Kirk or Admiral Kirk at the time, has an implant in his brain that he can receive like an entire mission briefing right into his <laughs> right into his brain. So yeah, th- this kind of thing's been thought of before. It's it's out there. It's you know, uh, but yeah, th- that what you're bringing up raises an interesting point. Is that you know so much of what goes on in your brain is really not. Like, there's a lot of instantaneous reactions. There's a lot of instinctual things. Like, I think telepathy would, would pose some really, some, some very serious problems. Because just because somebody, say, thinks a dirty thought about a, about a woman or a guy, that doesn't mean that that's what they act upon or that that's, like, really who they are and what they think. Oh, my God, yeah. How many times have I perved out in the women's locker room on the other women, but I would never, like, reveal it in any way to them. I would never do anything that made it obvious, and I'm very aware of that. So... Well, right, but so, like, you didn't act course, upon now it. that I said it on the podcast, I well, hope there's... <laughs> I'm never in the locker room with anybody who listens. <laughs> yeah, but, but I don't think that matters, because if you're not... If you are not acting upon it, who gives a shit? You know, like, like what, what does it even matter if you're thinking thinking that uh like i i don't know i there's an old saying i've talked about on telepathy to some degree on sovereign tech years ago but like there's an old saying that you know your your first thought is your instinct your second thought is what you or how does it go your first thought is what you were taught your first your second thought is what you actually think like the Mm -hmm. idea is is that is that you know you've been raised in a certain way to suppress your natural thoughts yeah, yeah yeah like like that so, you know, your first thought, it may not even be your best one or who you actually are. Hmm. So I think there's, you know, there's a lot of issues with, uh, you know, with that. But, you know, that said, I mean, there's been some fun theorizing around telepathy. Uh, like there's a, there's a book, I think it was by John Barton called Neanderthal from 1996, where in that, like, it was actually really cool. It's a science fiction novel, but where he find you know, th- this lost group of Neanderthals get found in the modern day in Afghanistan. Oh. And they use telepathy to talk, which, you know, scientifically that makes sense because Neanderthals, you know, we had a different vocal structure. They might not have larynx. been able to they talk may not very have been well, able to talk maybe, in the way that we can talk. Yeah. Right. But maybe they didn't need to. Mm. Uh, so, huh. you know, that that's an interesting point. Uh, there, there's a bunch. But anyway. Yes. I mean, sci fi is a great way to explore these ideas that, you know, we can't really play with as much in our current context of time and place. But um, through sci-fi, we can explore the issues. And Star Trek has actually turned out to be right about so many things. I mean, they basically predicted smartphones and all that stuff. And sure. uh, 20, you know, many years before they were actually a thing. So who knows? Maybe we will have telepathy in the future. I, cer- I certainly hope so. And I certainly hope we get the medical technology to cure cancer and stuff first that would be great i want i want the technologies that tolan's had in stargate sg1 where they could share their feelings that'd be hot (laughs) this is sex and science hour thanks for tuning in 
If you're leaving us now, I know not everybody joins us for the after show, but we do have one coming up. If you're leaving us now, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next Friday. Meantime, sexandsciencehour.com. If you're staying for the after show, we look forward to seeing you there. It's going to be fun. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. comment that we didn't get to read on the show that I wanted to just bring up really quickly. Last week, we said something about the contradiction between there's some people who think, who kind of hold the simultaneous belief that, oh, everybody's equal in terms of gender. There's no such thing as a difference between a male brain and a female brain. But yet the same people sometimes also think, oh, well, yes, you can have a male brain if you're trapped in a female body, if you're transgender or vice versa. So we were talking about that sort of conflicting belief system, perhaps. And we got a comment from an actual trans person. So here we, uh, I'd like to read it. Uh, They said, I think when you take two different stances that are as common in one movement and apply it to a whole movement, you're going to find contradictory positions no matter what. In terms of transgenderism and male-female brains, the, quote, man's brain in a woman's body tends to be a layman's way of explaining themselves to others who don't get it. Though I am trans, I cannot speak with any authority on the gender of brains since I'm not a neurologist or an endocrinologist. I just do what the fuck I want with my own body because it's mine. <laughs> I really like that answer. Yeah. So maybe it is just sort of a way of explaining it to a lay person. It's, it, it works as a shorthand and it's, maybe it's not a real contradiction. Oh, I, think, I think shorthand and a lot of labels and all that, they can be so problematic uh, yeah, you, you know, they, they can cause a whole lot of argumentation and straw men and, you know, all of these different things. But, you know, at the same time, there's a reason they're so handy because they do get a point across very quickly. Um, just, you know, I guess you just got to gauge the conversation. Is it time to go deeper or not? Yeah, absolutely. So. So that was a comment that got left on our SoundCloud. And I mean, since you could go to SoundCloud and see who left it, I'll just give credit to Tristan who left the comment. Um, And if you want to comment on our SoundCloud episodes, you can do that right within the episode. You can comment at the actual timestamp where we said something that inflamed your sensibilities or offended you or or, uh, delighted you, or perhaps you loved what we said. Either way, you can comment on our SoundCloud tracks. And we like it when you do that. Um... We don't always like reply to each one, but sometimes we read them on the show if we're in, if they're interesting, like Tristan's was. So, anyway, um, you can find all our tracks on SoundCloud.com/sexandsciencehour or on our website sexandsciencehour.com. So now it is time for the after show, and on our after show, we have a Amazon affiliate link stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. 
People go shopping through it, and we do sort of like a QVC thing where we tell what people got. And now your purchases are anonymous. We can't see who bought what, which leads to some interesting speculation. Uh, we don't even get clues about who who bought what, <laughs> so we, we tend to wildly speculate. But that's just that's okay because that just makes it fun. So anyway, what did people get this week? Well, the first thing, and imagine my delight when I saw this, because the first thing I saw this week on our Amazon report was an audiobook that I narrated called Girl Tripping. And this was a really cute audiobook. If anyone doesn't know, I'm a voice actor. I do a lot of audiobooks and a lot of other projects like YouTube videos and e-learning and um, all kinds and TV commercials and radio ads and stuff like that. Um, one of the audiobooks I did recently was this Girl Tripping book. It's kind of like a comedy book about this girl who's her life is kind of a mess and it's falling apart. And she has these two friends from an online book club that she's never met in person. And she really needs money. So she enters her friends into a contest that is about like a story of friendship between women. And she fabricates this whole bullshit story about a road trip that they took together (laughs) that never actually happened. And of course, she ends up winning the contest. So then she has to like continue the lie and has to provide these fabricated like photos and evidence that they went on it. So she decides, okay, well, they have to go on the road trip and actually try to recreate this, but nothing goes right. So (laughs) (laughs) it's a really cute story. And it's a great story for the summer because I actually have gone on a a girl's road trip this summer. It wasn't quite as much of a disaster as that. It was actually really fun. But you know, the summer's the time when you go on these road trips, and it was just like a really funny and cute book. Um, and it has some like some cool character voices, like there's a snooty French photographer, there's like a gay bus driver. It was really fun to narrate. So <laughs> it's called Girl Tripping, and the author is Gina Lamana, and she was awesome to work with too. So pick that up if you if you're looking for like a cute fun read, especially if you're on Audible. Um, by the way, if you search, if you just search for Stephanie Murphy on Audible, you can find all of the audiobooks that I've narrated. And um, if you want to listen to any of them for free, like if you want a review copy, um, just email me through the show or whatever show at sexandsciencehour.com. Or you can go through my voice website, which is smvoice.info, uh, whatever way you prefer. But I have a ton of like coupon codes that are basically review copies for these audiobooks. So you can get a free copy and the ideas that we would like you to leave a review so that it increases the visibility of the audiobook in search rankings. And hopefully that's a, a fair trade for you. So if you want that, just let me know and I can give you one. But this person bought it through our through our affiliate link. That's Fantastic. pretty cool. All right. Okay, so we got to move on. We've got a lot of items to cover this week. Somebody got black waterproof lipstick. Hot. I don't know what they're planning on doing, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Nice. Uh, in the vitamin and supplement section, somebody got uh, <laughs> beef liver pills. They're from Argentinian cattle, which are always grass-fed. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that the liver of the cow, especially the grass-fed cow, contains all kinds of good vitamins and iron and fatty acids and all kinds of stuff. I actually take these same liver pills because I know that liver is healthy to eat, but I can't stand how it tastes. <laughs> so I take liver pills. I do. I eat it once a week. I eat a slab of liver. I don't know once how the hell yeah. you do that. You're a better man than me, Brian. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be like a red blooded, healthy machine. <laughs> be like. Jeez. <laughs> well, you are. You are. <laughs> no, of I'm course. Kidding. Go on. <laughs> Somebody got. 
a Nintendo sticker decal that you put like on your on your car window or on like a laptop. It it looks pretty cool. It's That's like a, awesome. It's like a, a white Nintendo logo. You just stick it on. That's I am pretty an cool. Absolute Nintendo fanboy. I think that's great. Yeah. I would put that on anything. Yeah. Would you put it like on your body? Like, would you take a picture with your like man boobs? My man duct tape together with a Nintendo bumper sticker. Yeah, if I got your, paid, like maybe. A cleavage shot. I mean, yeah. it would be hard to rip off because of all the chest hair. I do have a lot of chest hair. Yeah, yep. you're a hairy man. Yeah, <laughs> but I do it anyway. Speaking of manly stuff, you're gonna have oh, a comment on this because yeah. I know you're gonna love the next purchase. Somebody got a Bissell nine five nine five A vacuum with one pass. I don't know what one pass is, but maybe it's so good you only have to do one pass and it sucks up all the dirt and grime. And yeah. so this is a corded back vacuum cleaner. Bissell is a very um, good and famous brand of vacuum, right? Yeah, absolutely. We use a Bissell uh, at home. I, I'm the one that does the vacuuming. I picked out the vacuum. It was pink. Yes. Uh, the one I wanted. And, and I, yes. I love using that thing. There's there's photos of me you know, using that. And I proudly show those off. And I love that you love it. Because not only do we get to say F you to gender roles, but I get to have someone else vacuum my house. It's Hell great. Yeah. I like to do the cleaning. I'm, I'm big on that. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It, that works really well for us. Um, your mileage may vary, but I hope you enjoy the vacuum, uh, whoever got that. Absolutely. looks like a good one. <laughs> In the books section, we have Cybernetics, the second edition, or the control in, of communication uh, or the control and communication in the animal and the machine. And we also have uh, a shop reference for students and apprentices in the book section cell phone section we got a blue vivo xl case we have a, a oh i i have that very phone that's a that's a nice little phone right there oh really a blue vivo xl yeah and we have a couple of boss things so boss is an audio a very nice speaker audio company we have a boss audio single um, multimedia player like a cd or dvd player receiver and that's Bluetooth. We have Boss Chaos Extreme speakers, full range speakers, four inch through A speakers. And we have Boss Chaos Extreme, uh, a different kind of full range speakers. And uh, they bought those all together. Um, in the computer section, we've got a classic Buffalo USB gamepad for pc so i think we have some gamers in our audience oh, and it looks like a super nintendo controller it does it looks like you know it just like a like it has the a b and x y buttons and they're like kind of rainbow colored and then it's got the cross up down left right it's got the uh, start and you know other buttons that was twelve dollars so you for twelve dollars you could get all the nostalgia you want you can play your <laughs> your your new newfangled games with an old look old school looking controller somebody got a raspberry pi three complete starter kit nah. a 32 gigabyte edition of the raspberry pi okay so brian you have a raspberry pi you built yep, a computer a out of that yeah yep. um yours does not have 32 gigabytes right no mine is uh 128 oh okay yeah <laughs> megabytes wow yeah gigabytes yeah i went all out oh 128 gigabytes yeah, okay gigabytes. i was like hoping it wasn't oh megabytes. yeah no no yeah so you know what i think i'm seeing a pattern here i think i'm seeing the picture they're going to be some, playing games on their Raspberry Pi. Yeah, somebody's pie. building what's called a Pi Tendo, which, oh, cool. yeah, which is where you use a Raspberry Pi to be a a game emulator. Oh, my and God. That that's is so a cool. good time. And Raspberry Pis are great for that. They're great for all kinds of things. 
I, I love raspberry pies. Well, if you were building a pie tendo, but that was just, I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you were the one who was building a pie tendo, let us know how it came out. Send us pictures or whatever. <laughs> Send <Yeah>. us anecdotes. <laughs> just to be clear, pie tendo is not anything sexual. At least, No, you just you explained it what it was. You don't even have to say that. Uh, I need to mention sex during Sex and Science Hour. <laughs> They also got a uh, a solid state drive, so you know I, I think all these accessories may go together. Um, somebody reloaded their Amazon gift card balance for a hundred bucks. So hey, that was great. We got six bucks out of that. Hell yeah! Thank you very nice. much. You can actually do that on Amazon, and they give you not only do they give us six bucks, but they give you five bucks. So like, if you're going to spend the money on Amazon anyway, you nah. just kind of like pay in advance, and then they give you a discount. Pretty cool. Right, more people do this. They're just trying good. to get all the dollars into the Amazon economy. I have a theory very fast. Yeah, tell I, me. I have a theory that Amazon gift credit, and people have argued with me about this, that it's not real money. But I think because you can you can use gift cards, like gift cards are transferable and all that kind of instantaneously between Amazon accounts. I think Amazon credit or Amazon gift credit, whatever, is the, I, I think it is the, the currency du jour. I think it is the most powerful. It definitely seems to be most liquid out of any type of gift card. Everything goes into an Amazon gift card. No matter what currency you throw at it, somehow you can end up with an Amazon gift card. I don't think you can say that for every other currency. Yeah, right on. It's pretty fascinating to see that. Yeah. Anyway, that's just a theory. People disagree (laughs) with me, but there it is. So somebody was uh, getting some organic coffee. Okay, this is all in the grocery section. Somebody has gotten some organic coffee, two different kinds. I'm still trying to figure out the difference between them because it looks like they're exactly the same. Maybe they're two different flavors. Tasty. But they got um, Melita Fairtrade Organic Coffee Morning Bliss Ground Light Roast. And the other one was the same thing, but it was a different price. I don't know why. Um, And then another person got, or another order was Xylitol Natural Sweetener, which Xylitol is like a non-caloric sweetener you know like a it tastes sweet but it doesn't have the calories of sugar and then there was also uh coconut oil virgin coconut oil a 15 ounce jar of it nutiva which is a popular brand of coconut oil so i wonder if somebody is making like a bulletproof coffee kind of thing oh yeah 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 that makes sense very nice, well good, could healthy be morning drink yeah absolutely we had some cute uh, kids polarized sunglasses from Riv Boss, rubber flexible kids polarized sunglasses. And they're like little pink ones with like little cat ears on the cat side. Eyes, yeah. Pretty cute. I would nice. wear them even though they're kids design. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care. I'm a kid at heart. Right. Now in the health and personal care section, we got something that I suspect maybe a sex thing. I'm not quite sure, <laughs> but these are like nitrile gloves like you would wear in a lab or like a doctor's office, but they're black. Oh, man, that's <laughs> awesome. I need some of these. So I think these might be a sex thing, but I'm not quite sure. I'm not going to judge, you know, or anything like that. But, you know, maybe let us know. Maybe send us pictures or whatever. What? Whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the home section, we had... Uh, and I thought this was a really cute name. We have from Black Flag, which is an insect uh, control company. We have the Roach Motel 
insect trap. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was really cute. So like the bugs go inside, but they never come out. It's like the Hotel California for bugs. The Roach Motel. (laughs) (laughs) And then somebody got one of those trash grabbers with like an extension of your arm and you like, you know, click the thing and it like grab, it like picks up something ew, squicky that you don't want to touch. Those are so handy. Those are so useful. I know. for a million things. Yeah. In the Kindle books, we've got machine tool practices and mathematics for machine technology. So somebody's like in engineering school, potentially. Yeah, I think somebody's going to school. and Right on. Good for you. Mm-hmm. We have uh, in the kitchen section, the green pan, 10-inch anodized uh, nonstick ceramic fry plant. I actually use a green pan, and I really like it. The only complaint I have is that over the years... And it, it, to be honest with myself, it's been like 10 years since I've replaced it. So maybe it's time to get a new one um, through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. If we could use our own affiliate link, which we can't. But the green pan is like a nonstick pan that's not coated with Teflon. It's coated with ceramic. So the food doesn't stick, but it also doesn't give off those nasty, like toxic fumes from the Teflon pans. Um, the only complaint I had about mine was that some of the uh, ceramic can wear away and you can get like, you know, the aluminum underneath it, which you don't want exposed to your food either if you're buying a green pan. So just be aware of that. Don't use metal utensils on it. Use the bamboo turner that comes with it. Um, and then somebody got a, a, a Japanese omelet pan which it looks like, which is coated with Teflon, which is a square pan. So it's for making like tamago, right? Tamago is mm-hmm. the egg, is yeah. the Japanese omelet that's kind of sweet and like soy saucy. So this is a square pan for making, it's a it's a tamagoyaki, Japanese omelet pan. So tamago, any way you like it. Yaki nice. means like how you like it, right? Yeah. See, I know a little bit about Japanese no, culture. Covered. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I do. Well, there was a time when the whole world was going to be going Japanese. It, sadly, it never happened. Oh, man. In the pet supplies uh, category, we had the blueberry pet pack of uh, tinsel knit Fair Island dog sweaters. So this was like a really cute, well, no, like there's an adorable dog wearing a cute. blue and white striped sweater, but it's going to make him look fat because they're horizontal stripes. Oh, we talked about this in the beginning of the show. It won't make him. Yeah, look but fat. for a dog, that might be the way you want to go. You know, to <laughs> they make look it look cuter bigger. when they're fat. <laughs> and then they got some more dog sweaters. These are like, uh, you know, kind of like ugly Christmas sweater kind of patterns. Not uh, not ugly though. Just like, you know, knit patterns. Yeah. Um, and that was a blueberry pet blue and white diamond pattern or holiday vintage tinsel net. And finally, it looks like somebody got a roll of duct tape. And a soldering iron. Okay, all right. Now uh, uh, this. Oh, no, the... solder, not a soldering iron. Oh, we got some solder. Wait, okay. I purchased this item on August 25th, 2012. What the fuck was I buying this for? Was that for that mixing board? I think that was for that yes. mixing board. Yes. Oh, my God. So we got, an, we got a defunct. How defi- did you buy your own thing, though? We got a... I, 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 Amazon has my history, because I bought this item back in 2012, and oh, I didn't remember it. So somebody, somebody else, else bought, it. bought it through our Amazon link, and then yeah. when I clicked on it, it said I had bought this back in 2012. So the reason I bought this solder was because you asked me to, because we got a defunct mixing board from Ian Freeman at the Liberty Radio Network, yeah. and uh, he said, it's yours if you can fix it. It doesn't work for him, but it needed to be like soldered. It needed a new power supply. And I don't think you ever fixed it, Brian. So get on that. Not yet. I'll get I on that. I bought this shit back in 2012. The least you could do is <laughs> t- take a take four years to try to fix yeah. it. Anyway, 
<laughs> now the duct tape, though, that's obviously the duct for tape sex. is fixes everything. Yes, no, it's that, obviously for, for tying someone up or taping something to somewhere. <laughs> uh, Stuff sexandsciencehour.com. If you want to be on our after show, thanks for tuning in. We'll be Ooh. back at you next week. Have a great weekend, y'all. Bye.